Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, we're really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And Jim, there's so many different indicators now about where the momentum is in the midterm elections. It appears right now it seems to be edging back towards the Republicans, if you look at some of the the polls in key Senate races. Uh, But also, there are now new metrics that people follow to see what is uh, grabbing people's attention. And one of those is what they're searching for online. And so uh, Axios with the story today, Americans Google searches and story interactions around crime and immigration are eclipsing abortion and the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago, according to the Axios Midterms Dashboard, powered by Google Trends, as well as new data from NewsWhip. There's a sentence I never thought I would be uttering. Why it matters. With elections seven weeks away, some topics more likely to favor Democrats have been losing ground to those that may favor Republicans. The big picture? Democrats have been laser-focused on abortion as a winning issue, but the new data shows a waning interest nationally after the initial surge that followed the Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade. It remains high in some states and districts, including Indiana, which passed a near-total ban last month. Meanwhile, searches related to immigration and border vaulted into the top 10 last week as Florida Governor Ron DeSantis grabbed national attention by flying asylum seekers to Martha's Vineyard. And, of course, Governor Abbott's been sending busloads of folks to several different cities, including here in Washington and in New York City and some to Chicago, I guess. Uh, so, Jim, I mean, it's it's a new world when it comes to campaign analytics. It's not just knocking on people's doors and getting ads out anymore. It's And it's been this way a long time. And pretty much this whole century, data has driven successful campaigns. Uh, and if these are the issues that are now front and center before the American people, that's a good thing because the left and the media, especially when it comes to the border, want to pretend that that issue is not happening. It didn't even come up in the 60 Minutes interview, for example. It basically comes up only when the Fox correspondent asks it in the briefing room. So the fact that this is now on the front burner for the American people is not only good for our national security, it's also good for Republicans in the midterms. Yeah, look, I don't want to overstate uh, the correlation between what Americans are Googling and want to know more about and how they're going to vote in the midterm elections. But I do think that if Americans are talking about the border, talking about illegal immigration, then that is a sign that they are concerned about the border and illegal immigration. And it probably is safe to assume they don't feel like things are going just fine on the border or regarding illegal immigration. Uh, This, by the way, I think is a good indicator of the instincts of Ron DeSantis um abbott had been shipping them up and this had kind of been a i don't want to say a low level story but you'd seen the complaints from mayor adams up in new york city and mayor bowser in washington dc it had been an issue but something about sending them to martha's vineyard and the reaction of people in martha's vineyard and the self-congratulation after oh we had we had 50 illegal immigrants here for a day and a half and then we shipped them off to a military base we deported them effectively to a military base um, that was kind of the reaction to all that put it front and center. And it was exactly the sort of thing that um, I think drove conservatives crazy and made them say, see, the moment folks up in liberal parts of the country have to deal with illegal immigration and migrants the way we do, all of a sudden they worry and this becomes a huge story. We deal with this every single day and it's, you know, and everybody kind of just shrugs and ignores it. 
Uh, I think DeSantis accurately guessed or, or uh, assessed how the media would respond. And I think he also accurately assessed how Martha's Vineyard was going to respond. Um, so I think, you know, well played on, on several levels of this. I, I, but I'm sure people say, oh, this is, you know, the coverage is so bad. The people covering it don't like it. I don't think I've seen any indication that the, you know, rank and file people are upset about no one. It's no one who has said, oh, I'm a big Ron DeSantis fan has turned around and said, oh, this is very bad. He shouldn't do this. Um, I haven't seen anything like that. Um, I also think this is having some interesting uh, kind of like secondary effects today in or I guess it was yesterday or, or uh, in the Wall in the Washington Post. Charles Lane who's one of their editorial writers wrote migration's root cause is Latin American socialist dictatorship. Now, Greg, you and I would say the moment anybody left, right or center starts pointing the finger at Latin American socialist dictatorship, we're going to stand up and applaud. Hey, yes. All right. Anytime you're saying socialist bad, dictators bad. Yes, we agree. Um, but I've seen some pushback from the Washington Examiner and other places making the point that like, well, they've often had these socialist dictatorships. They didn't magically all appear in January 2021. Illegal immigration, the surge of migrants at the border did not start on January 20th, 2021, but it didn't start that long after that. And you know, listeners probably remember Biden said, uh, oh, this is, you know, seasonal pattern and perfectly normal. It came up with a, a you know, about a you know, middle of last year, or early this year. If you look at the numbers from Customs and Border Protection, the surge began shortly after Biden took office, and it really hasn't, you know, changed that much. It's more, you know, there's higher migration, higher attempts to cross the border in the better weather months. It goes down a bit when the weather is really super hot in summer. Um, but by and large, you don't, it hasn't changed any, it hasn't stopped. You know, they have not run out of migrants in Central America. And there was this column by Jen Rubin who said something like, you know, oh, where did, whatever happened to the border crisis? Well, the border crisis didn't go anywhere. It didn't change. It didn't stop. What stopped was the coverage of it, at least in the national press. I'm sure it's still big deals in Texas and Arizona and New Mexico and perhaps in Southern California. Um, places that are lived. The problem didn't go away. The attention span went away. That's how that's the only thing that changed. And yet Jen Rubin interpreted it as, well, the problem solved. The problem went away. Um, I think, you know, this is a good indicator of saying, hey, when you put the spotlight on this, there are a lot more Americans than just hardcore Republicans who look at this and say, this is a problem. We don't hate illegal immigrants. We don't necessarily think they're all terrible people, but we just can't have them coming all at once. And we can't have uh, an open border and we can't have, you know, a de facto welcome mat to people who are entering the country illegally. And also for those who are applying for asylum, we know a bunch of these folks aren't really going to qualify for asylum. Asking for asylum is the new way to try to get into the country and stay into the country for a longer period of time. There are some people who genuinely deserve asylum, but this is a new way to kind of get into the country and stay into the country for longer. So anyway, just well played by Ron DeSantis. And I think the Google searches indicate, you know, a sharp Republican can get the country talking about what they want to be talking about if they play their cards correctly. Yeah, well said. And the border was Biden's first blow to the armor. His uh, his approval numbers on, on the border went south before anything else. Obviously, Afghanistan was when his overall numbers hit the skids. Uh, but that was the first uh, the first place where the American people realized he wasn't being straight with them and he wasn't being effective on that issue. When it comes to DeSantis, uh, I think it's he's, he's a good litmus test in a number of ways, but I think it's also a good lesson for Republicans. I mean, if you're doing conservative things, the left is going to hate you. 
and they're going to try and uh, you know bully you to not do those conservative things. And so then the question is, how are you going to respond to that? Are you going to you know move back closer to the middle or try to mollify people? Or are you just going to come to the conclusion, I'm a conservative, they're going to hate me no matter what I do, so I'm just going to do what I'm going to do? Because the media is out there you know, two, three years ago saying, DeSantis is letting people go to the beach. Can you believe this? This is so reckless. And so when they're doing stuff like that, by the time you get to anything else, I'm sure Governor DeSantis is like, well, if they're frothing at the mouth this much, I must be doing something right. And let's also note, by the way, that one of the there were Florida Democrats who said, oh, I can't believe you're doing this. And DeSantis had pointed out, we put money in the budget to do this that you voted for last year. That was, you know, kind of the steel trap, you know, going across (laughs) these guys' legs where all of a sudden, you know, they're like, hey, wait a minute. If this is such a terrible idea, why did you vote for this in the budget to do this? And of course, you know, whether this will actually be held against any of the remaining Florida Democrats is another story. But I think that indicates that he is thinking a leg or two ahead of time. Um, and, you know, often, you know, often has prepared himself for some good countermeasures for the criticism they know they're going to get. Yeah, he doesn't just shoot from the hip and the lip because he knows the criticism is going to come and he's almost always ready with a very thorough explanation of why he believes he was right. So learn that lesson too, Republicans. All right, on to our bad martini now, Jim and There was basically a political murder in North Dakota in recent days, and the media seems completely uninterested in this. And that's because a guy who apparently is from the left mowed down an 18-year-old teenager who he thought was part of a Republican extremist group. Of course, if the affiliations were reversed, we'd probably be seeing wall-to-wall coverage of this. But here's a quick synopsis, at least I hope it's quick, from uh, Town Hall. A suspected killer in North Dakota accused of mowing down an 18-year-old over the teen's alleged conservative views was quickly released from jail. So here's another crazy aspect of the story. A 41-year-old Shannon Joseph Brandt of Glenfield, North Dakota, was freed from a local detention facility just two days after he confessed to hitting Kaylor Ellingson with his car in an apparently politically motivated attack that resulted in the victim's death. Jail inmate records show that Brandt was let out sometime Tuesday And the County Correctional Center confirmed to Town Hall that the defendant posted a $50,000 bond. Foster County Sheriff Justin Johnson also verified that Brandt is back on the streets pending his next court appearance. Apparently there was some sort of dance party that went into the early hours of the morning. uh, And this was uh, in McHenry in North Dakota. A drunk Brandt, in addition to a rabid, angry partisan Brandt, got into apparently an argument with Ellingson. Uh, He claims that Ellingson was threatening him. The people around Ellingson claim that Ellingson was calling for people to come help him because he thought this guy was going to attack him, which he did. Uh, So then recently we had the the court hearing that eventually allowed this guy to go free on $50,000 bond. And Mr. Brandt is confused, Jim, as to why he would... There would be even any consideration that he would be held any longer. After all, he's got he's got stuff to do. He's got a house and things. Well, I don't understand the differences. 41-year-old Shannon Brandt had a tough time understanding the charges against him, vehicular homicide, and leaving the scene of a deadly accident. A judge ordered Brandt held on $50,000 cash, which he objected, saying he's not a flight risk. I have a job and a, and a, a life and a house and things that I don't exactly want to see you know, go by the wayside, family that are very important to me. 
Well, guess what? When you kill people, things go by the wayside. Uh, Jim, what do you make of the story and the complete lack of interest from the national media on this? When I see something like this, I do wonder if he's trying to set up some insanity defense when you're basically saying, Your Honor, why should I have my freedom taken away from me just because I killed someone? That's not fair. But I do think the fact, you know, I'd be curious about how many listeners, and we have a you know pretty darn right of center audience, but, you know, how many listeners have heard of this? My guess is that if you follow conservative media, at minimum, you've seen a headline. Maybe you didn't click through and read it or something. But you might, oh, there was this weird, wait, somebody actually, somebody actually killed, you know, killed a woman, a young woman over, over a political dispute. And of course, if the situation had been reversed, it is extraordinarily likely that this would be a big story. And this follows this very consistent pattern from the former Bernie Sanders supporter who tried to shoot up a baseball field full of Republican congressmen. Uh, to the, uh, you know, whenever there is a, a particular kind of violent crime that can advance a particular narrative, uh, here comes terrible right-wing violence. By the way, you know, right-wing violence is bad. Right-wing violence should be denounced. But we hear a lot about right-wing violence, and we hear very little or nothing about left-wing violence because a lot of people in the media just have this instinctive reflex of, well, people on the left are the good people. The environmentalists are mean well, and uh, those anti the Antifa can't be dangerous or fascist. They can't be running around beating people with sticks for their political views because it's right there in the name. They're anti-fascist, so they can't be fascist. You know, um, This utterly naive approach. Now, think about how much you hear about this or how much you hear about, say, that guy who drove through the Christmas parade out in Wisconsin earlier this year, or I'm sorry, or late last year. Versus, you know, I mean, George Zimmerman's trial became, you know, the national sensation. And, you know, it's, I'm always very curious about what sorts of topics the media decides very seriously, furrowing its brow. It's time for a national conversation on this topic. And we need to have an honest, you know, often they'll emphasize that. The, the conclusion of that honest conversation that they're always calling for always seems to be, and this is why you have to vote for Democrats and not for Republicans. Um, as many, you know, very often after some mass shooting, you'll hear, you know, these, you get these unbelievably cliched columns. It's time for a national conversation about gun violence. Now, every rational human being believes, yeah, you know, mass shooting's bad. Don't do that. That's horrible. It's the worst thing you can do. There are very few, very few people who are like, yes, yay, pro mass shootings. But inevitably, you know, the answer, the national conversation that they want to have are that, well, that's why we should ban guns. That's why we need to repeal the Second Amendment. But the American people never get there. The American people are like, no, we've rejected that option. We'll have a conversation. We're talking about gun violence all the time. We're talking about race relations all the time. All these topics, the media thinks it's time for a serious, you know, major national conversation. To actually get taught, what they don't like is the conclusions, which says more about them, I think, than the American people. Yeah. Very well said. Very well said. And just the the line he used to the judge there is just so chilling. I have a job, a life, and a house. Jim, I don't know if Kaylor Ellingson had a job, but he had a house, I'm pretty sure, and he definitely had a life, which he doesn't have anymore. So the idea that this guy is out on a drunk driving vehicular homicide is insane. Absolutely insane. All right. On to our crazy martini now. And Jim, you talked about the sharp political instincts of Ron DeSantis a little bit earlier today. Let's swing at 180 degrees and move over to Stacey Abrams. Yes, she's still running for governor of Georgia. Thankfully, the polls look like uh, Governor Kemp is solidly ahead there. And 
if we're lucky, he'll drag Herschel Walker across the finish line, too. We'll see how uh, how things shake out here in November and possibly beyond if they need to go to a runoff in either or both of these races. It doesn't look like they're likely to need that in the governor's race at this point. But Stacey Abrams is making headlines again. I'm not exactly sure which forum this is, Jim, but uh, the issue is abortion, because as we talked about in the first martini, that's where Democrats want to focus right now. And Stacey Abrams is trying to pour cold water on the idea of a fetal heartbeat as early as six weeks. And, uh, well, here's what she said. There is no such thing as a heartbeat at six weeks. It is a manufactured sound designed to convince people that men have the right to take control of a woman's body away from her. The ultrasound adds a noise that is the result of men trying to control women's bodies and force them to give birth. So, Jim, on a number of fronts, this is ridiculous. Uh, I've seen some folks you know, cite material from Johns Hopkins and other places online today showing that there is fetal cardiac activity as early as six weeks. Uh, Glenn Kessler's trying to defend Stacey Abrams here, saying it's, it's not a heartbeat, really. It's just electrical activity generated by an embryo. You know, you're a parent. I'm a parent. I assume many of our uh, listeners are parents. If you've ever been there, you know what's a heartbeat and what's the whooshing sound of the ultrasound. Uh, Stacey Abrams is flailing here. And if it weren't so uh, sad, it would be funny. Yeah. I mean, like every parent, that's that's the first time you really see your child. It doesn't look like a child. I talked about this in heavy lifting where you're, you're, you know, you're full of excitement and all of these emotions and this thing you always wonder is going to happen. It's happening. And, you know, it, it, I, I joke that it looks like a lobster, right? There, there's, you know, they, it doesn't look like this adorable little baby, but in there you can see this thing going back and forth with this steady rhythm, usually pretty fast. You're like, oh my God, that's the heart. That's the heart beating. But it's not really a heartbeat in Stacey Abrams' mind. Um, what I think kind of comes out of this, I and mean, this has been a long year for demonstrating this. Stacey Abrams um, isn't, you know, she's not nothing. Um, you know, she was the minority leader uh, in the state legislature for a while. And I, the interesting thing, as I point out, she was not this hardline partisan. Uh, her party was in the minority. And so she didn't have an enormous ability to influence legislation. But she did manage to get some deals with Republicans. Uh, a couple of Republicans in the state legislature had nice things to say about her. And she managed to derail certain, uh, I think it was a tax on cable television that she said was going to effectively raise taxes on most Georgians. So, but somewhere along the line, you know, she became this icon of the left. In part, I think a big reason why she became the icon of the left, she was, you know, well, fairly well known. And there was a decent amount of buzz about her in the 2018 cycle. Democrats thought she was going to win and, you know, be the first Democratic governor of the state of Georgia in a very long time. And she came close, but no cigar. Came within about 50,000 votes. You know, it was, it was about 1%. It wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't a huge win, but it was a solid enough. It wasn't disputable. It wasn't Florida in 2000 coming down to a couple hundred votes or anything like that. And Stacey Abrams refused to concede. Now, just a couple of days ago, she was insisting her refusal to concede the election and her refusal to call Brian Kemp the legitimate winner of the election was totally different than Donald Trump's refusal to concede the 2020 presidential election and his refusal to say Joe Biden was the legitimate winner of the election. Now, the explanation really didn't hold much water. It was very hard. You really had to squint and get out the microscope to detect any differences there. But uh, and even her explanation was saying, well, you know, there were certain people who wanted to vote and couldn't vote and certain votes that weren't counted and all those like in the process of insisting that she didn't contest the election. She continued to contest the election results. I also thinking of the uh, the infamous photo of her in uh, in the kindergarten. We forget about that. But like 
anybody I would argue, I don't know anybody with any sense of political instincts would look at the grown woman who, <clears throat> let's face it, is getting up there in years, probably not in the very best of health, surrounded by children who were at exceptionally low risk of having any adverse effects from COVID-19. And one woman was unmasked and all the kids were masked at a time when all a whole bunch of parents across the country were starting to get irritated with schools, you know, expecting their children to remain masked and not giving them any flexibility or options in that policy. I don't think Stacey Abrams has nearly as good instincts as her party thinks they do. I think they see what they want to see. I think they're trying to convince themselves. No, no, she's really great at this. She's really great at this. You know, polling indicates she's going to lose anywhere five, seven, maybe even 10, 11 points. This could be not that close when push comes to shove in Georgia. And at that point, I think I'd like to think, okay, we've seen the end of Stacey Abrams. She can go off and do more cameos on Star Trek if she wants, or she can write more. I would make fun of her for writing thrillers, but um, no, that's okay. As far as I'm concerned, that's perfectly normal behavior. Uh, but yeah, but in the end, you know, she's comparable to Beto O'Rourke. She's run and she's lost and she's run and she's lost. And it's time to stop hyping her as this grand political uh, rising star because soon, if you run for statewide office, sooner or later you got to win one of those offices. And both uh, both her and Beto are in relatively culturally conservative southern states where it's tough to win statewide if you're a Democrat, and it's almost impossible to win statewide if you're running on an explicitly progressive agenda. Uh, you know, this stop telling me how great she is, Democrats. I'm not buying it, and it looks like voters in Georgia aren't buying it either. You know, I'd love to say that Stacey Abrams, Beto, Charlie Crist are going to be great candidates for fading into oblivion because they should be, assuming they all lose. But something tells me they're not actually going away. I don't know if they'll run again, but they're going to show up on a liberal cable news channel near us uh, at some point. But also, Jim, I'm just fascinated by the party of science. I mean, abortion is perhaps their most fiercely uh, protected topic and, and issue. Mm. But you know, from what we've heard since the, the Dobbs decision came down about laws not protecting uh, care for ectopic pregnancies or babies that die in the womb, which they refer to as abortion uh, for for those situations. I mean, they're just they're just bizarre. And so now this is just the latest idea of <laughs> the science people not having any idea what they're talking about. They're the party of science right up until the moment it becomes politically inconvenient. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. Wow. All right. Well, Jim, one more day and then we can rest. Have a good one. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already and tell a friend about us as well. We're also very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. We really do appreciate those, and they're a big help to us. And also, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Remember Jim's brand-new thriller, Gathering Five Storms, the accompanying short story, Saving the Devil. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday, and please join us on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Mayor Keith Peacock of Orland Park, Illinois, joins me to explain how the Safety Act passed by Illinois State Legislature will unleash chaos on communities and businesses in the state. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, we expose the radical left in Illinois as they work to impose dangerous backward policies. I'll also discuss the sacrifice of our Border Patrol agents who face dangerous conditions to protect our national sovereignty. Join me, follow the Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.